Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today in Threlkeld in the car park of the wonderful coffee shop with author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Hello, David. The forecast was actually it might be wet today, but it's actually held off. Slightly oppressive skies, aren't they, today? The visibility is fairly poor. There's clag on the tops. But, hey, that's what we've got at this time of year. So we're out and about. And we're here today to celebrate a milestone in Country Strides history. Absolutely. We are very proud to announce the publication of our first ever walking guidebook. <laughs> and we picked Threlkeld, of all places, for all kinds of reasons. It's on your doorstep. <laughs> right, that's one of them. <laughs> uh, it's blessed with having a very regular bus service between Keswick and Penrith. And it means anybody can walk from here and really enjoy a majestic setting. Everybody associates Threlkeld with Blencathra, and of course the guide covers a string of great walks on Blencathra, but also on the other side, Clough Head, mm. and then there's High Rig. Mm. But the valleys themselves have great merit. Glendra mm. Mackin, Glendra Terra. Mm-hmm. I've made a point in exploring all aspects of this setting. The railway trail, which is opened up. I take a walk over to Castle Rig. We've got linear walks using the bus service that goes to Air of Force and Glen Ridding. So there's a high-level traverse over the Dodds. So it's a real lovely mix. There's 18 walks, and it really shows off that Threlkeld is a brilliant location for a walking holiday, or certainly a good day trip out from Keswick. I'm sold, Mark. This sounds like a brilliant guidebook to buy. I was the tester for all these walks. You've actually missed off my two favourites. One of them is the walk, the long walk to Skiddor, we call it. Great fun. And I think that approach up Bakestall, Whitewater Dash, that's the approach for Skidder. And it comes back down over Lonscale Fell, doesn't it? Mm. Great day out, that one. Uh, and the other one, and actually I think this was my suggestion, so uh, I think I'm allowed to love it most of all, is the walk from here to Douthwaite Head, along the old coach road, up to Nick Head. Sticks Pass? Sticks Pass, and back along St John's in the Vale. I challenge anybody to find a better walk out of Threlkeld than that one, but uh, I do appreciate we have sharp edge to contend with for those who like such things. Anyway, it's a lovely little book, and I think we've given it far too much airtime already. <laughs> uh, you can buy it on the Country Stride website, but we should talk about what we're going to do today, Mark, first yeah, of all. Absolutely. Well, we've got uh, somebody who's supported us in research of this book and giving us a bit of local knowledge. Somebody who's born and bred in Threlkeld, who was a National Park Ranger, who's had a very active life. Somebody who knows the area intimately and loves it. Donald Angus. Wonderful. Yeah, he was very helpful in supplying historical context and heritage interest to the guide. And where are we going, Mark? We're going on what I call the Glendra Terra Walk, up Lees Gill, up Lees Road, and then to the Blencathra Centre, down over the footbridge, over the Glendra Terra, and then cuts back through the meadows, through the fields, back to the village. So it's not a long walk, it's only about four miles. It'll probably take us six hours. (laughs) If we're lucky. (laughs) Okay. well, without further ado, let's go and meet Donald. Well, we're coming up Kilnhowbeck, which is the lower part of Bleasgill. A gorgeous little semi-wooded green space, loved by the villagers for years and years. And it's got bluebells just at the moment, which is the season of the year. It's a gorgeous, quiet little spot, away from the thoroughfare, and a place of great enchantment. I'm with Donald Angus at the moment. You're a local through and through, are you, Donald? You could say that through and through, yes. Born and bred here, lived in Threlkeld all my life up to now, uh, and uh, enjoy every minute of it. 
I would imagine there are people who live in the village who haven't climbed the fells, but you're definitely a fell climber. I have. I've done Blencathra a few hundred times. <laughs> you're retired now, Donald, uh, but you've had a career. What sort of life have you had? A blooming good life. And what happened, uh, when I left school, I went to work in a garage. The man went bankrupt, probably because I was working for him. <laughs> I went into forestry after that, spent about 10 years in forestry. And in 1968, I got a job as a National Park Ranger. And uh, that was the start of really getting to know the Lake District thoroughly. And I think I've been up most of the mountains in the Lake District. You weren't the Lone Ranger. You were the third, I think. Uh, is that true? After John Wyatt and uh, Des Oliver, yeah? Uh, that's right. Yes, I was the third to be appointed. Anyway, this setting, it's a green, I believe, this kiln Howbeck. Was there a kiln here, do you think? Uh, that's an interesting question. Obviously, if it's got a name like Kiln How, a how being a small hill, then it's obviously had some form of kiln, but nobody knows what kind of a kiln it was, whether it was for potash, whether it was for drying grain, charcoal, or whatever. We don't know. There's no real evidence anywhere to be found of any form of kiln on here. But there's a bit of a mound behind me. What's that? People in Threlkeld threw the rubbish somewhere and before the day of a van coming round or a lorry coming round to collect, they had to dump it somewhere. So they dumped it on here. And behind us is Blee's Robe and, of course, the village school. Did you go to school there, Donald? I did, yes. I went to Threlkeld School from the tender age of five years old until I was 11. Can't imagine you being anything other than a great pupil. Oh, if there was anything going on like hunting in the village and the foxhounds are out, he didn't go to school, he went and uh, followed the hounds. I was a naughty boy, <laughs> I was Mark, yes, That's without it. a doubt. And you called Blees Road actually Duck Street. What was the story there? Um, when I was a child, it was Duck Street. It was never, ever called Blees Road until Blencathra Centre opened up. Whether that was because they walked the ducks down there to market, a great name. We'll make progress up towards Dickney and then up into the outgang. Great. It's a lovely little passage yeah. through the uh, gill, uh, which will have been quite a challenge before there was a walkway and a footbridge and these wonderful steps. Now, Donald, you pointed out as we came up, this stone above head height up to the right. What does it say on it and who was it to? Well, the stone itself at one time was nearer to the path because the path here has been eroded away to get the right gradient and to dig to get the right gradient to make an easier path up. Uh, but the stone itself and the name is on the stone, is Harold and Sid Robinson, two brothers, lived in Threlkeld, and they were great walkers. They walked all over the place. I think the date's about 1927, Harold and Sid Robinson. It's covered in moss, you've got to be pretty agile to get up to have a look at it nowadays. I associate the name Robinson with the cross on the saddle of Blencathra. Is it the same one? It's the same man, Harold, yeah. Why he built the cross on the top of Blencathra, there's various stories. One is that it was in commemoration of his friends that died in the Second World War. Others say that it was uh, people from Skidder House who he knew there who probably perished in the war. But he carried all them spars himself yeah, quartz to that stones. quartz it's, stones. So that must have been a labour of love and compassion for the person he That's was right. revering. Yeah. So we'll continue up these steps. By the way, I just was going to ask you about the outgang, or what, what do you call it? Well, Don't... outgangs, yeah. An outgang is a way out. And it wasn't a way out for visitors. <laughs> it was a way out for them little woolly things, sheep. And, of course, if you built walls in the valleys and you enclosed your land and there was a common grazing on the mountain, you had to get your sheep out. So you would leave an area. And on this uh, mountainside from Whitehorse Inn, Right down, there's about three of them, main ways out. There's one on the other side that goes up by Newsham and out onto Throckle Common, Cloughhead and that area. Anyway, we'll continue up the outgang. Right. We are horrible steps. 
Well, that's great to come up the outgang, through the gate, onto the open fell, Blees Gill rising impressively ahead of us, with no crags, and not a loo. I can see uh, three rooks high up on the fell, swirling above Nothaloo. Blaine Cather is manifest before us. Has this gate got a name, Donald? <laughs> yeah, funny enough, it has. Always known when I was a child as Carfiat or Corfiat. Corf being a calf and a yat being a gate. Obviously, there was calves probably in here. Yeah. The enclosure next to it, does that have a name as well? That's Ling Close. So Ling being Heather. And a close being an enclosed area. There's no heather yeah. there now, though. No, there was when I was a child. Was there? Yes, there was. Yes, there well, was heather. So the, so the grazing pattern has been changed in that it time. It has. Uh, the farmers improved it for grazing. Right. But yes, there was there was heather in there when I was a child. Because the slope of uh, Gate Gill Fell above is richly covered in heather, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And I know if you go up that way up onto the escarpment. It's quite a tough walk, tangled in the heather. It's quite a steep walk up there, it is. And steep down. <laughs> <laughs> By Please the way, go. Mark, I, I noticed you called it Notaloo. Natala's its name. That's how it's pronounced locally. It's Might be did. spelt Notaloo, but it's Natala. Tierford Tarn, over on the other side. Tewit Tarn? Tewit Tarn, Tierford. So, in John Peel's song, it's... Fields cry Natala then. Natala, yeah. Fabulous. Yeah, I always think that this is a superb little place for a picnic. You can imagine somebody coming up here with the kids and the kids are saying, oh, what further are we going? And they say, oh, we'll just have a little sandwich and a cup of tea here. And it is a nice little place to sit, pretty tranquil, away from, you know, if you get up there, away from the people that's coming up the path. A little stream for the kids to play in. It's gorgeous. It's a superb little area. What we've got here, though, if you look at this setting in terms of its working life, all these paths here had another purpose other than coming up for picnics. Well, the thing is, Mark, we've got to remember that before these were registered as public rights of way, they were paths for the workers and for the locals. So they all had a purpose. And here, in this area, and coming through from Keswick and Milbeck and that area, if you look on the map, you find that the paths themselves generally go to the mine, because people were walking. There was no buses, no cars. You walked to work. So you were walking from the other side of Keswick, probably, up to Threlkeld Mines, doing a day's work, and then walking back again at night. And the question I often get asked is, well, how many hours did the miners work? They never worked any more than eight, because they had a 12-hour day by the time they'd walked here a couple of hours and walked back again. So, you know, it was hard work. And it's Gategill Mine, which is just across the broad shoulder of the fell from here. That's right. Uh, Gategill would end two uh, different veins which cross underground. Lead being the main mineral and later uh, spolarite, zinc and a little byrite. And they started, we think the first records were in the days when the Germans came here in 1564 and they did some of the first exploration here. But the heyday of those mines was mostly in the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, when there was over a hundred men working there. As all mining, it fluctuated because of the price of ore and because of the quality or quantity of ore that they could find. But a big industry, you know, and an industry which really made the Lake District, it was said once that the mountains of the Lake District are worth our England else by some elder statesman yeah. for the amount of mineral that's in those mountains. Yeah, particularly associated with Colbeck. That was Colbeck, it was Colbeck. And Colbeck. how did they convey the lead from Gategill Mine? Well, in the early days, Pacos. Wow. That's all you would have is a pack horse. Later, horses and carts. At first, it would go to Penrith, as it did from Greenside lead mines, it went to Penrith. As the railway came here in the 1860s, 70s, then, of course, it would go to Throckled Railway Station. So Throckled Railway Station was there not only as a passenger service, it was mostly for mineral that line. The other thing that they had, of course, was Troutbeck and Troutbeck Station, all the ore from Colt Mines went there and Amazing. the railway was put in. 
and my mind cast to the thought of your dad. Did he work in the mines? He did, only for a few years, and I can just remember him. I would only be three or four years old, probably, uh, during the Second World War. He was a cobbler by trade. That was what his job was. He made miners' clogs. And, of course, you had a job to get your money in, so he went and worked in Greenside Mines for three years, and that was a very interesting thing. I remember him telling me when I was a little boy sitting on his knee. He said, today the Italian prisoners of war, he said, have come to work in Greenside, he said, from the prisoner of war company at Penrith. They won't work, he said, because they said it was against the uh, Geneva Convention to mine for lead to make bullets to fire back at your own people. So how long did the Gategill mine operate until? It operated officially until about 1928, but there were, during the Second World War, there was talks of opening it, 1952, something like that, a company came and they wanted to reopen it because they reckon there's a lot of lead in there yet. But that would mean driving a tunnel in right down in the village and there was a lot of opposition to it. It never, it never came to fruition, it was just probably, you know, maybe not going to pay its way and it wasn't worth the risk. So where did so, the miners go from there? Uh, mining is a thing that it's in your blood. I know men, and I only know one alive now, who spent all his life mining. He went, as one mine closed, they went to another mine. And from here, they would go to Greenside, and as Greenside closed, they went to the Coltbeck uh, mines for Pottsgill, and Sandbeds and places like that. Dangerous, unhealthy, yet... Men were still working in the 70s, weren't they? they were. You know, it's difficult to imagine that now. When uh, the mine was coming more or less to the end, during those years leading to it, was the mine the actual dominant place of work in the village? It fluctuated. The workforce fluctuated. If the price of mineral was low, then they didn't pay the men, they paid them off. They didn't want them. And then if the price went up, up went the thing and more people came. That's the thing about mining, it was a gamble. Mm. They didn't know in them days what was ahead of them. No. Today, they diamond drill, they take cars out, they have an idea what's there. In the old days, they didn't know. So, yes, it was, a, it was one of the main industries here and, of course, the granite quarries on the other side of the valley. I remember it as a child as being an industrial village. Quite. That's what it was when I was a kid. I'm intrigued, you mentioned about Tewitt Tarn, which is how I pronounce it, uh, and Burns Farm. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about their relationship? Well, there was a brewery at Burns. And now, you wanted water for a brewery. There was no piped water as we have it today, coming through a tap from goodness knows where. So, Tewitt Tarn. Tewitt Tarn, sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and uh, they brought it across from the town. If you go up there, you'll see a little rock cutting. That was to get the level right so you could get the water flowing. Then it went down what they call launders, which were wooden channels, and across the fields and across the burns. I mean, water was the main thing for power, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, today, history is repeating itself. We're using wind power, we're using water power, but we're using turbines and, and uh, things like that. Right, oh, well, stride on and forward over Bleasgill. What a lovely, lovely passage there, coming along by the top of the intake wall. It gives the most majestic view over the vale, over the village and beyond. You can look from the Mel Fells, Clough Head, of course, and the Helvellyn Massif beyond the range. You can see rays, bits of mist up on Brown Cove crags. And then Steel Fell above Dunmail Rays, you can see through the St John's in the Vale Gap there with uh, Castle Rock at Main right through the valley, uh, High Rig, Raven Crag, and above that, Ulscarf, and to the right of that, moving further to the west, you've got Bleabury Fell and Waller Crag, and then all the majestic fells of the Newlands Fell group, Cap Bells and Robinson and Causey Pike. It's an absolutely stunning view. And um, is there one particular fell that you find magical to you in that set? If we're just talking of this area, I think Blencathra is a superb walk. And there are so many different ways of Blencathra. When one says, well, which is your favorite way of Blencathra? When I was young, Sharp Edge, or Razor Edge as it uh, is really called, 
and uh, going up Horsefell Ridge. Now when I'm getting a little bit creaky in the old legs, then I generally go up Bleasfell here, now Crag, and come back around and down Scalesfell. So that is, you know, a, an absolute fantastic walk. Now, Donald, you're born and bred in this village. Naturally, you'll have wandered around here. Have you got three sort of ways that you particularly love going? Well, depending on the time of year, uh, but to walk along the side of the river uh, from Threlkeld village down to uh, Millbridge and then following along and up to Guard House and then back across to Whitehorse, have a pint and then come back down the valley towards Guard House again, Stone Rays and through there. I mean, that, that's a beautiful walk. Winter time to get up onto the side of Clough Head there or come along the old quarry road and through by the quarries there. Fantastic. I love it up on uh, Threlkeld yeah. Knox. It yeah. does give a majestic perspective on the village and Blencathra. <laughs> Threlkeld Knox is a fantastic little place, a, a place of mystery really. Mine's up there too, yeah. I'm intrigued by Wanthwaite Crags because tucked up in there there's a like a little shepherd's way that goes up to a fold, up to Jim's fold. Yeah. It's called Fisher's Wife's Rake. Who was Fisher's wife? Well, there are various stories but the one I tend to believe is that Fisher lived uh, across the way at Rake Howe, known locally as Wrecker, which is now just a ruin. And it is said, uh, and I haven't seen any evidence of this, that old Fisher would be sitting in the window smoking his pipe with his long white beard, and Fisher's wife, his wife, would be up there carrying Pete down Fisher Wife Rake and across for the fire. Now, whether that is true, we don't know, but it's a nice story. Come on, dear, the fire's going out. Get here a bit quicker. Fleet of foot with her feet. But th there are another two paths go out, Benister Gate and Old Gate, from behind Throckle Knots. Benister Gate? Benister Gate. Benister Gate? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was called that. Yeah. Old yeah. Gate and Benister Gate, yeah. Yeah, and by Bucks Castle. Yeah. yeah, it goes out, yeah. And then, of course, that area where, just at the moment, the sun's shining on, that's called Nettle Pots. You now, you won't find that on a map. Nettle Pots? Yeah. Yeah? But always been known as Nettle Pots. Ah, oh, these are lovely names. If you look they? on the hunting fixtures and things like that, you know, you'll find these names because they've been passed yes. on. Oh, yeah, this is it. And they had their own language to go with it, because I know burnt horse... It's Brunt Horse. Brunt Horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've heard a husband describe that to me. It's Brant, probably. Brant being steep. You know, the, the pronunciation of places, and you said in your book, like Thralket, you know. I mean, we call it Thralket. And then it's Thralkeld. And then you find other spellings of it. Right, well, we'll plod on a bit further. Well, it's a lovely path, and the bracken isn't up yet, which is a great blessing at this time of year. Yeah, it is. This path's a little bit narrow for me. I might get a bit of vertigo in a minute, you know, oh. and I might fall off. Oh, well, I'll hold your hand. Oh. On, don't worry. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> Come Who's on. Shows the way. Come on. This is those rugs. They echo through the trees. Fabulous. We come actually adjacent to a very substantial building, which is now the Blencathra Centre. But Donald, what's his history? Can you give us a bit of a background to it? I can give you a little history. This, of course, was originally a sanatorium for TB. And uh, roughly the date in the uh, early 1900s, when TB was pretty rampant and a pretty deadly disease. And you needed fresh air, which you got up here, and you needed uh, solitude and somewhere away from everybody else. And this place, right up into roughly the 1970s, 80s, uh, was a sanatorium. Then it worked for a while as a, a geriatric uh, hospital for the old people of Cumbria. But it was so much out of the way that the relatives had a job to get up here. Uh, and then after that, the National Park uh, acquired it, uh, and a lot of the buildings, the wooden buildings, which were the wards, they were all pulled down, and gradually they started to build new buildings for uh, accommodation. And uh, the Field Studies Council eventually got it, and they now own it. 
it is now, you see this as we come in, it's a great emphasis on green energy and green qualities that the Field Studies Council cultivate. Is this something that is completely new to this setting or, or is there a little bit of a connection into its pre-Fields uh, to this Council times? Yeah, very much so. From the early days, of course, you've got to remember in the early days there wasn't any mains electricity and things like that. And the doctor up here, Dr Goodchild, he was a pretty uh, genuine bloke and he knew a lot about not only being a doctor but being engineering. So here they put in their own electric, hydroelectric scheme. They even put in a pump for pumping drinking water up which was run by drainage water. How amazing. You know, that, they were really with it. If you came here as a patient and if you actually survived, there was a good chance of you getting a job here and quite a number of people I knew who actually got a job here working after they'd recovered. And lived in the village? Uh, and lived in the village, yeah. And they had their own workshops, own engineering, joiner shops and everything. So it was virtually a self-sufficient, self-contained place. Yes, it's a, it's a magical place. I know when the railway came through, people often refer to the uh, sanatorium up on the hill. My wife used to come to school here and on the train, and she remembers it back in the 1960s. It, it's never called a sanatorium. It's called the Sunny. That's what we called it, the Sunny. Up at Sunny. There you are. Und the undertaker had a good job in Throckle at that time, you know. Uh, <laughs> he made his fortune, yeah. Oh dear. I, I'm particularly intrigued by this actual stone in the sanatorium building there, which presumably was a farm before it was, it was even a sanatorium and uh, what it is today. Uh, it's distinctive of this vicinity, isn't it? I've seen it in the village as well. Yes, it is very much so. It's known as Tausiatstian, uh, or house gate stone from the little quarries above here. And it's got this yellow ochre on the cleavage of it, so you can see the yellow. I mean, if that was in the middle of London, I would know where it came from. Because I don't know anywhere else where you've got... It is skidder slate, and it's slightly harder than uh, some skidder slate. But it makes a good building stone, as you can tell, that's still standing there. It'll be there for a few hundred years yet. I hope so, yeah. I'm intrigued by the fact that there is this wonderful road that runs up here, uh, goes over the cattle grid to a parking area, and then out into the valley, the Glendra Valley. Has the road a history to it? When you think about it, there was no wheeled ve well, there was no motorised vehicles. You might have a horse and cart. So often, the easiest way was the shortest way, or the shortest <laughs> way was the easiest way in some cases. And uh, that would go through to Bassenthwaite. So it would be a main connection. You wouldn't need to come all the way around Keswick. So you'd come through there. Uh, also, uh, the track that goes through Lonscale Crag on the other side of the valley, that would be used by the miners. And it is said that ore was brought from the Colbeck mines through to the smelting works in Keswick. Now, what they did on that track was probably carried in panniers on ponies, that's all, because it isn't wide enough for a horse and cart and certainly <laughs> a that's bit a, rough and steep in places. That's the... Cumbria Waste, and anybody who walks along that section, right. it has a special magic. It's invariably in shadow because it's on the That's east right. slope of yeah. Flonscale. Well, we'll thread our way through the buildings and the environs of the Field Studies Centre and head down into the Glentraterra Valley, which is a gorgeous way down through the fields. That's a lovely way down towards Durant Falls. There's gorse in full bloom, but I noticed a, a pollarded oak tree, which I think is pretty unusual, because normally it's a different species. What, what species are normally pollarded, Donald? Mostly ash. Ash was used as a form of vitamins for sheep. Not the wood, but the bark. So in uh, autumn or winter, when there was a lack of vitamins for sheep, the farmer would go cut the branches off or pollard it somewhere about probably eight, ten feet from the ground level and drop the branches into the field. The sheep would come and they would gnaw at the bark and eat the bark and they'd get the vitamins out of that. And that was ash. Then all the wood would be used, wouldn't it, for tool handles, uh, for making fencing, but particularly for tools and things like that. 
So everything was used. I love the setting down there at Derwent Falls. Derwent refers to oaks, as in Derwent water. It must have been a gathering place for sheep coming off the high fell. And I noticed there's some lovely primroses sitting there adjacent to that lovely whitewashed building. It just echoes to the past and farming heritage. And it sits in the valley of the Glendra Terra. I love that name, just as I love Glendra Machin. So they've got these two rivers that have these very distinctive names. Glen is really Glyn, it's the Welsh that's been adapted over the years. Der is actually like the Derwent, it's a river, Deru, and Ter is land, so it's the land beside the river. Now we're on a lovely lawn now, it's a lovely path beside a brook leading down towards the Glendra Terra. Has this got a name? Uh, this is Lucy Gray Lonin. Who Lucy Gray was, uh, we know that Willie Wordsworth, uh, the great poet, he actually compiled a poet called Lucy Gray. This girl got lost and probably finished up. They found a footprints going towards the river. Uh, it's a lovely name, isn't it? Oh, yes. Lucy Gray. Yeah, and it's a lovely path. But before we get down the beck towards the footbridge over the Glendra Terra, as the sun's shining and it's a calm moment, also an opportunity for you to reflect on your early days in the National Park as a ranger. What was the sort of role like? <laughs> when I started in 1968, uh, the ranger's job was many and varied. The main interest was to try to be a liaison officer between the National Park, the farming community, and uh, the local community in general. And that was to try to keep a bond and try to get things working like public rights of way open and uh, to help farmers with problems caused through visitor pressure. That was part of it. We were also, most of us, on the mountain rescue and I spent 43 years on mountain rescue. Uh, we also had a lot to do with schools and we used to go into schools and give talks and country code, mountain safety, uh, a lot of stuff like that, and a lot of patrolling on the mountains. It was to promote the country code, which we hear so much about today, and the problems with it, uh, mountain safety and country code. And you would go up for a day, maybe onto Scorfell, and you'd talk to visitors, you'd help them, keep them on the right track, so to speak. A very rewarding job, a very rewarding job, a way of life, a bit like being the local vicar. You know, you would work sometimes from seven o'clock in the morning to probably eight o'clock at night. Uh, but then things changed and uh, I was once told on my job assessment that I was a bad time manager, that I worked from nine in the morning till five. But yeah, a very interesting job being a ranger, very interesting. If I had my life over again and would have me, I would come back and do it again. So this whole process of being a ranger, you required quite a level of diplomacy if you ever approached a farmer, you never went with the law and said that must be done like that or else by a certain time. You worked round, you made sure you went on a day when you had a good day at the market. Therefore he was happy. You had a cup of tea and you talked about everything and then gradually you brought in about the footpath. And it, in most cases you could sort it out. Well, we crossed the footbridge over the Glendra Terra, come up that lovely inclined shelf path, which presumably is very old, join the road at Brundhome, and come down the road, this tarmac road, and in front of us, as we get to the bottom, we've got a couple of people who have run past us, presumably they've run through from Keswick along the Brundhome road through the woods, and then have joined the railway trail, which is just in front of us. Now, of course, that's just been opened in the last few months, just before Christmas. It's a major feature here. Have you got memories of it when it was actually a railway, Donald? I have very vivid memories as a railway. Uh, when I was just a young chap, uh, you would go on the train to Penrith to collect engine numbers. You know, it was a favourite thing in them days to take all the steam trains at uh, Penrith Station coming through and get the numbers and you had them all in a book. So this railway came into being about when, would you say, Donald? It came in in the 1860s, I think it was, or somewhere like that. And it was a mineral line. 
It wasn't for passengers at first. It was all to do with industry. Uh, down West Cumbria, of course, there was the steelworks, there was coal. Uh, the coal down there was no good for making coke for the steelworks. So they would bring it out, take it over to the east, and they would bring from the Newcastle area or the Derham area coking coal for the steelworks. And it was used during the war. There was a big ammunition dump at Camerton. Uh, it was used for ammunition and stuff going out and stuff for the war effort. But it was industry, really. And, of course, once the railway came, then the local mines were using it for transportation. And as it went on, it declined. And uh, the first section in the 60s closed between Keswick and Workington. And then in the 1970s, 72, I think it was, the whole thing was closed. I remember them pulling it up. And they made sure that it was pulled up pretty rapid so no private enterprise could take it over and make a go of it. Then it was left derelict. The bridges got in a bad state. Uh, they were fenced off. Uh, and, of course, people cut the wire and there was one or two people fell through the bridges. Oh, heck. And eventually the National Park took it over and uh, they opened it up. And in the early days, the opening up of the railway was just uh, ad hoc job really we repaired the bridges temporary uh, where the big timbers went across we put handrails on the side it was just a single way across but he kept it open until the great floods storm desmond storm desmond was it and that closed it for three years was it to five years there's a steady flow of people coming through here which is inevitable this is a fabulous spot throwkeld station which existed below the village there's no trace of it now but it serviced the mines and the Threlkeld granite quarry. Well, in the early days, uh, the quarry at Threlkeld uh, was started by a German with the name of Harquist. And uh, it was started probably slightly before he took it over. But it was primarily in the early days for ballast for the railways. So this railway, the uh, main one over Shap, uh, and various other railways. When Manchester Corporation flooded Thirlmere, they used stone from Threlkeld Quarry and uh, as time went on they made some lovely coloured tiles and also paving flags. But the main thing was sets and sets are square stones for paving the streets of our cities and we still find them around today in places like Silleth and some of our cities. So them were the main things. In the early days there was no road to that quarry. There was no road for a vehicle. All there was was uh, the railway. So everything went away by railway and everything came in by railway. Quarry worked from the 1800s through to uh, just before the Second World War. It closed during the World War and then it reopened again in 1947 and worked right through to 1982. And then they'd put a, a good road in. So the railway wasn't needed. They'd widened the road uh, there was lorries taking everything away and they had a time academy plant. certain amount of stuff came in by rail but not a lot. And as the quarry closed in 82 there was no use for it. So this railway, it had a very poor passenger service. In fact I'm sure they ran the thing down that if you went from here to Penrith you missed the other train by about three minutes. The quarry you mentioned is now used in a very more industrial way as a museum and that's interesting isn't it, it is i worked up there for 10 years after retired taking people in a little mine we made there and yes there's a lot of good history up there and a lot of good photographs it's run by volunteers if you want to see photographs of old mining and history of it and mineral specimens it's great and, and they also have up there now a steam locomotive uh, rebuilt by ian hartland the fellow who owns the site and uh, it's good I've just been up there this morning. Have you really? Yeah. Yeah, I've I seen Ian on his uh, Fulton Major tractor. He loves his machinery, doesn't he's he? He's in his own world, yeah. We've got Dick and Chaplin Bryce up there, young chap, and he's doing great. He's now managing to get some grant money for the place, and I think he's got a couple of grants recently. Well, we've crossed the bridge, this little road bridge over the Glendra Terra, and admire the modern footbridge, uh, the old railway bridge, but modern footbridge and cycleway over the river. 
the River Garita here, isn't it? That's the Garita. Yep, because just upstream from here, just a short way, the River Garita is formed, in effect, at the confluence of the St John's Beck with the Glendromachin. And the proper name for St John's Beck? Go on, tell me. The then. River Bewer. Have you heard that? No, absolutely new to yeah, me. River Bewer. We've made it up the hill, uh, up to Wesco, where uh, Don's friend, I gather, lived. And, uh, and you knew Dr. and Mrs. Alden, who were W.H. Alden's parents, who lived there. And I, I believe their ashes are in the churchyard. And we've headed now through the meadows, over some lovely stone stiles. And we come to a rather intriguing spot here, with some large boulders. Can you explain them, Newt? Well, I'll do my best. Uh, it is said that this field that we're in now is one of the fields in this area that has never been ploughed because most land has been cultivated at some time or other. But when we look at this, it's rough, it's got stones still in it, big stones, and it's been left. Uh, and it is said, and we don't know for sure, but the rumour is that this is where the elders of the village would meet. So before the days of parish councils, God forbid, uh, then they would come here and discuss and sort out problems in the village. And it's a big semicircle of stones within the middle, one singular boulder where the uh, whoever it would be who was doing the meeting and organising it could sit and throw questions to the rest of the people here. There's an arc of stones and they're huge stones uh, inexplicable and not identified on maps as a historic site. It's not a ting mound, because that would be a mound, but it, it's a gathering place. It's definitely worth coming to here to look at. Um, it's, a, it's a fascinating you spot. You can sit here with your girlfriend on a moonlight night. How romantic! <laughs> yeah, yes. And you've got a lovely view up to Gategill Fell and to the startling skyline up the canyon at the head of Bleasgill. It's quite an imposing spot. So anyway, um, we've got to that magical point in our journey. Quickfire questions, Donald. We ask you questions just to see uh, how you respond. It's always interesting. Have you got a very first Lakeland memory? The first memory that I have of the Lakeland was when I was very young. And my grandmother lived at the quarry, and this might have been in the 1940s sometime. And it was a very bad winter, maybe 47. And... My grandmother had a coal fire at the quarry, we had run out of coal and I was sent as a little boy with my brother to bring coal from the quarry in a little cart back to here, pushing it through the snow and I can't have been any older than five or something like that. And I remember my father coming home from the mines, you know, that was another one, coming home with his helmet and that and... Uh, all dirty. <laughs> Have you got a favourite fell, Donald? I think, as far as mountains are concerned, that they all have their own little charm. But I think going down Newlands and to Buttermere and going Red Pike and up the Salmoot Gill and across there is a lovely walk. Yeah. Oh, magic. Um, if you were to choose between Wainwright and Wordsworth, would there be... <laughs> I wouldn't give my, any of them much say, uh, <laughs> but Wainwright, I think what he did, the way he did his books, the way he did it all handwritten and all the sketching is marvellous, yeah. Uh, red squirrel or Herdwick sheep? Oh, Herdwick's any time. Herdwick's, Absolutely. yeah, a yeah. good old Herdwick. You what about Swaddell? Swaddles, well, they, what they say is, of course, Herdwick's have no horns of grey face and look stupid. And they say there's no good comes from Yorkshire. So <laughs> you can weigh that one up. Apart from a Yorkshireman. A Yorkshireman, you can't tell him much. Hear all, say all and say now, eat all, drink all and pain out. And it was going to die out, die for the sen. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not going any of that. I think everybody's got their best qualities. Have you a favourite Lakeland food? I'm going to have some tonight. Which is? A bit of tiati pot. Did you make it yourself? I have made it myself last night. Fabulous. Best when it's warmed up. Have you a favourite Lakeland view? Good question. 
I think I mentioned one of them before was when I was coming over Newlands Horse and looking down to Red Pike and putting me here. That's a superb view. Uh, going over Hard Knot and Rhinos and looking back down to Langdale, you know, beautiful. Magic. Magic. Yeah. Have you a favourite Cumbrian town or village? Thralkeld. Well, did I, where did I, I live. Did I need to ask the yeah. question? And uh, following on from that, have you a favourite pub? Ah, uh, no. It's that long since I've been in them. I forgot them with this COVID thing. Uh, I, White Horse at Threlkel's a good pub. No, I'll drink in anywhere. It'll supply it cheap. Going from Threlkel, we used to go in the Horse and Farrier and uh, I had a motorbike at the time and uh, after a few pints you'd jump on your motorbike and uh, take a pillion passenger, sometimes two, to the bottom of Hellval and go up Hellval and at night he was sober when he got back. <laughs> I also remember a very interesting one, going into the White Horse when I was a teenager. We weren't drinking age, we'd been up uh, Blencathra, two of us, and we said, nipping to the back door and see if we can get a pint, you see. So we went to the back door and the fellow owned the place, came to the door and uh, said, in terms of a pint. He said, come in. So in we went, sitting there was the local policeman. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, oh, I'm having the answer, I suppose you can. <laughs> Them were the days. Fabulous. Now, if you were the Prime Minister for a day, <laughs> uh, is there something you would really want to do just to safeguard the landscapes of Cumbria? Home rule for Cumbria. That's what we need. But who would be in charge? Me. Oh, well, <laughs> well, at, least, at least we know where we stand. That's all right, yeah. OK, uh, when the time comes and uh, friends gather to scatter your bones or your ashes, where that might that be? My body is going for medical research because there's nobody else like me in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Journey's end, we're back at Threlkel Coffee Shop at the Village Hall. I'd actually hoped to have a little interview lined up with Steve, who manages the coffee shop, Mark, but unfortunately um, we're far too late, which is uh, often the way with our walks. Um, but it is worth saying that this wonderful coffee shop is owned by the community, uh, very rare, so profits go back into the community of Threlkel uh, and to the upkeep of the uh, Village Hall. And I think this may be the location where we first met it was indeed. I think we both think it's wonderful, don't oh, we? Oh, well, yeah, it's a great meeting place. Lots of people meet here. It's not a throng like you get in Keswick. It's a place you can come to. And because it belongs to the village, it's very much a place of community. And, of course, we're giving a little bit of money from the guidebook to the village hall because we believe that it is so important to support villages in every dimension. If Country Strider are doing guidebooks... It's got to be a little bit like our podcasts. It's about the people who live there yeah. that matters. Quite right, too. And I'd just like to also mention the pea soup. It's the best pea soup I've had, Mark. Well, the cakes are stunning as well, so there you are. Fortunately, we haven't had a pea soup day either. <laughs> it's been <laughs> no, very clear. We haven't. It, it is clear, but it's... I mean, now we're back. Very oppressive sky still. It's incredibly lucky it hasn't rained. There are these lovely little patches of light just wandering over Cloughhead, over High Rig. That's part of the, the magic, isn't it, of Threlco Coffee Shop, is that fantastic view out over Cloughhead. We've had some posts come into our post bag, Mark. Right. These are comments about various podcasts from throughout time. This is uh, somebody called Graham, 1960 Brass. And he's talking about Country Stride number 12. That's going back some. It is. Can you remember which one that was? Wow. Um, no, because <laughs> this is 56. <laughs> OK, he's talking about our Great Langdale podcast. And he says, Ari the Axe Factory. Yes. A good few years ago, a friend of mine found some blanks in a sand dune at Eskmeals which had been uncovered by a storm. The theory is that they were taken there to be finished and polished in the coastal sand. I understand that's exactly right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Isn't Fascinating it? to have actually found some. Wow. Here's another one. This is Country Stride number 51, which was Skidder House. Great listening again, guys. Wonderful place, the Northern Fells. I did a walk there in October on Bannerdale Crags, Bowscale Fell, followed by a wild swim in Bowscale Tarn. What a magical place. Looking forward to a visit to Skidder House, now on a planned walk to Great Calver in April, all being well. Places like that always bring out the deep emotions for me, and I can understand Marie's emotions having lived there. Best wishes, Steve. So that's uh, Steve. Very good of you to write in, Steve. And then one more, this is Border 44, commenting on Country Stride 49, which was Wainwright. Thanks for the revealing insight into Wainwright from an angle not heard before from Richard Else. Keep up the good work, lads. <laughs> nice to be thought of as a lad. Ah, oh, that's nice, isn't it? Um, now, we should, before we go, Mark, um, we should say that Donald... What a wonderful array of insight into this area. Yes. What a kind of rich area yes. for heritage as yeah. well. I love the fact he was the third National Park Ranger. Yes. Because I knew John Wyatt yeah. and Des Oliver, who's still with us. Yeah. And so I've now met a third Foundation Ranger. You're almost collecting these people on a list, aren't you, Mark? You're kind of ticking them off. So we very much enjoyed our little Threlkel wander today, our usual housekeeping. You can find all previous episodes at www.countrystride.co.uk. We are on social media. Countrystride1 on Facebook and Twitter. Next up, we are heading south, Mark. We're going to the Roslyn Valley. I'm looking forward to that. I love woodlands and uh, I believe we've got a, a real treat there in store. A couple who have moved into the woods, have made it their home and who manage it. Uh, in a sustainable manner uh, to keep traditional woodland crafts alive. So, yeah, very much looking forward to that. For now, from Threlkeld, from our favourite coffee shop north of the Dunmail Rays, uh, we're saying goodbye and we look forward to you joining us again for Country Stride. <laughs>